Hey friends, Dave here on behalf of the Hallway Conversations crew. It's the beginning of the new academic year across North America, and we know many of you listeners have already launched in, and some are very soon going to. We started classes this week as well, lots of newness around. And we're hoping to try a few new things this semester on the podcast as well. One new thing, we're hoping to regularly start sprinkling in interviews with people we would love for you to get to know. And so this is our first interview show. We started with our good friend and colleague, Dr. Justin Bailey. Justin teaches in the theology department here at Dort University, and he's one of the most popular professors on this campus. The students absolutely love him, and we do too. He recently wrote a new book entitled Interpreting Your World, Five Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. And while it isn't a teaching book per se, it has plenty of wisdom for Christian educators and lots of encouraging ideas for thinking about how to help children and young people make sense of the complex culture we find ourselves living in. It'll be available soon, and we highly recommend it to you. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode. We enjoyed visiting with Justin so much, it ended up a very long conversation, so we decided to split it into two episodes. The first half of the conversation is here for you this week, and we'll have the second half coming out next week. We hope you'll find Justin's wisdom on discerning issues of faith and culture both challenging and encouraging. So, coming right up, the first half of our conversation with Dr. Justin Bailey. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGrelt. And I'm Dave Mulder. Friends, we're always looking for topics of conversation and feedback, so please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. We really do want to hear from you. Today, we have a special guest, friends. Now, the last time we had a guest, her name was Abby DeGroote, oh, and boy. she ended up becoming <laughs> not just a part of this podcast, but the star of the show. This is a true story. It's not. Very true. And we all know how much Abby loves it when mm-hmm. we talk about her being the star of the show. <laughs> Friends, today we are joined by our friend, Justin Bailey. Thanks for joining us today, Hello. Justin. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. A few mm-hmm. things about Justin. Justin works at the intersection of Christian theology, culture, and ministry. Having served as a pastor in a number of diverse settings, his work as a professor explores the way that culture shapes the practice of Christian faith, as well as the ways that the Christian faith enables culture care. He holds a PhD in theology, and his research seeks to bridge gaps between church and the academy and the formational spaces where they overlap. He is the host of the In All Things podcast and writes regularly for their online journal. Now that makes Justin sound like a really big deal, and he sort of is, Mm -hmm. but he's also our friend. (laughs) So we also just want to say that, and we are honored that you're here. One of the reasons we've asked Justin to join us here today is because Justin actually has a, um, a new book coming out. His work has also appeared in Christianity Today, uh, magazines like The Banner, Fair Forward, The Reform Journal, as well as academic publications such as Christian Scholars Review and the International Journal of Public Theology. He actually already has a book out called um, Reimagining Apologetics, which came out in 2020, and his book is coming out next month and called Interpreting Your World from Baker Ac- Academic, which is why we've asked him to be here today. Justin, I'm just wondering if you can give us a bit of a background um, about yeah, this book, the topic, um, why you're exploring this. I know you, you like to talk about the imagination a bit and, and maybe just who this book is for. 
Yeah, thanks. Well, first of all, long-time listener, first-time guest. Uh, <laughs> glad to be on Hallway Conversations um, in the virtual hallway, I guess. Yeah. Um, That's right. But um, yeah, this book, Interpreting Your World, which was not the original title, um, you know, it's a long process to come to the title. I like the title now, but it went through a few iterations. But the book really came out of my work um, trying to put theology and culture together. Um, those are the two things that I'm always working with and trying to put together, um, as you said in your introduction, both the way that culture shapes the way we think about theology mm -hmm. and Christian faith, and then also the way that Christian faith shapes the way that we go out and care for culture. Mm -hmm. So this book is really written for anyone who is also interested in those questions, um, aware of the way that all of us are looking at the world through a cultural lens, mm -hmm. and um, all of us are creating cultures, um, uh, in our classrooms or uh, in whatever vocation or institution that we're in. And then also a person who's really tr wanting to be constructive and, and, and to build something. Um, so I'm hoping that it will be read by juniors and seniors in college who are kind of getting ready to transition out of college and go out into the world and to en engage the culture, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also hoping it'll be read by people like um, a lot of the listeners to your podcast who work in Christian education uh, pastors, um, lay people who are interested in the intersection of culture and, and faith. Mm -hmm. Now, Justin, in the introduction to your book, I learned a few things about you. I learned that you are a one-time break dancer, which I would pay good money to see right now. I learned that you listened to Dashboard Confessional and that you were on whatever social media existed back then. I, I see Q. Zenga. Zenga. With, with an X. With you an remember X? that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, Zenga. All right. Yeah. In the introduction, you also tell a compelling story about helping a friend rid himself of his secular music. You also ask a compelling question. Does discipleship mean replacing what we loved, and is that how we're called to relate to culture? We all work with young people, as do many of our listeners. So my wonder is, why does culture have such a grip on all of us, the, the people we work with, but, but even ourselves? Um, as you say... And you use this, I love this line, all of us are deeply shaped by our culture, culture's conversation about things that matter most. Does helping young people, Justin, helping young people reorient, reorient and reshaping their, quote, sense of what is most real and what really matters mean having to throw away all our cultural artifacts off a, off a bridge? Can theology and culture mix? And I ask this um, because I found this introduction compelling even for me coming from a a place where it didn't often mix, um, where I would buy a cassette tape, yeah, I'm that old, um, <laughs> and it was either thrown out or questioned. And so mm -hmm. I didn't always mm -hmm. know how these things mix. So even for me personally, I find, I found your writing helpful, but I'm just wondering and thinking about the teachers, um, professors even, um, can theology and culture mix? Can you just talk about that a yeah. little bit? Um, great question. There's a lot there, I think. Um, so first of all, it's already mixed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we never have theology or a faith that is not already shaped by culture. I mean, we're speaking a language, right? And the language we speak opens up the world, but it also limits what we can imagine. Um, and so already, as soon as you are speaking a language or wearing clothes, or you know what I yeah. mean? Mm -hmm. Being in a particular space, you're always being shaped by culture. And so in that sense, uh, culture gets us before and more frequently than faith does, you know, if mm. you sort of think about it that way. 
Um, and so we are cultural beings. That's how God created us to be. And I think God likes that. God likes the diversity of of culture and the way that humans use their imagination and creativity mm-hmm. to make things of the world that are different, to make things of their spaces. Uh, we are also sinful, um, pervasively sinful. And so a lot of the things we make are destructive to us. And so there is a place for replacing things, right? Mm. That I don't let my kids watch anything they want. I don't let them listen to whatever they mm. want. I don't let them have phones yet. You know, they're 13 and 11. So I'm not saying that there's never a place to kind of distance yourself from cultural artifacts. Um, but if you try to live a life that is completely separate from culture, it's just incredibly hard. Um, and what you usually end up doing is replacing the artifacts of culture with inferior artifacts mm. um, of Christian culture, or the Christian music scene, right? Or you think that all the problems are out there, and you forget about you know our own hearts are deceptive, mm-hmm. right? And we have sin in us, and we have to question inside, it's not just outside. There's a funny story that the librarian told me. He said, you know, uh, schools that have high views of human depravity have really lax library security. You know, it's it's really easy to steal books from people who, who you know, <laughs> believe in sin, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. And the reason for that is because you're like, oh, we all sort of know we're good people here. Nobody would steal books from us. Um, and mm. so it's really easy to steal books. And so the idea there is that all of the dangers outside out there in the mm. world, none of the dangers inside. And so what you really need to be doing is teaching people to discern, not just out there in the world, but also in here, because it's possible that the artifacts we're creating in quote unquote Christian cultures are just as destructive or more destructive in mm-hmm. certain ways than some of the things that you find out in the world. Mm. I really appreciate that though, because at one point in the book, you talk about how some some Christians experience, like when you talk about culture, it's always with the definite article, the culture, the culture yes. right? as yeah. if we're like that thing over there, we got to be careful about that. We got to watch out for those people, you know, the right. culture without acknowledging that we also are culture makers and we're part of That's right. this, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you when you say culture, like, do you have a working definition in mind? Because we've been throwing that word around a lot here already. Like how, how do you define culture? Yeah, can you, can one you of the hardest culture? words that yeah, for somebody right. who said culture is one of the hardest words to define. There's a book that came out that had 56 irreducible definitions of culture, you oh, know, man. and that was from like the 50s, you know, and so I can imagine just all the ways that you, you talk about culture here. Um, I've found it helpful to think of culture with three W's. Culture is um, a world of meaning that we ha- we inhabit. So it's this field of force that we always are moving in. And that the particular things grab grabbing our attention the world is calibrated to grab our attention in certain ways like i was just thinking yesterday uh, because on uh in all things podcast i'm interviewing caitlin Beatty about celebrity it's like i have this experience where i'm reading the news and all of a sudden i realize i've been reading celebrity news for the last five minutes and why am i doing that Mm. you know so it's the sense that because culture values celebrity my world is calibrated to draw my attention to those things Mm -hmm. so culture is in that sense this world that we always inhabit that you can't get out of um, you can resist, perhaps, but it's always sort of forming and cultivating you. Um, cul- uh, culture is also a work that we do, something we can't not do. So everything that we do with our agency, with our creativity, is a work of culture. Um, so we are always making culture, whether we want to or not. The question is, is it faithful? Is it excellent? You know. Um, and then the last one is, it's this web that we weave, or it's the space that we make. And so in that sense, you're thinking very intentional in terms of um, there is this sort of 
culture that you're making almost unintentionally, but then there's also this culture that you are trying to cultivate. You're, you know, in, in a school, for example, mm-hmm. in a classroom, you're trying to create an ecosystem of safety or an ecosystem of curiosity or an mm-hmm. ecosystem of where certain things draw your attention, certain things uh, grab onto you. And so it's this world um, that you inhabit. It's this work that you can't not do. And then it's also this web that you're always weaving. Mm-hmm. Justin, how how do you think about that from an education standpoint? You talk in your book a little bit um, about how you had to make connections with your youth students through the culture, right? And so I think I'm a former high school teacher. And so I always had to have some sort of awareness about the pop culture items that my students were interested in, right? As a bridge into their world so that I could really use that to bridge them into what I wanted to teach them, right? And talk about. So as as an educator, how do you think about culture in the classroom and bringing it in? And do you have any maybe tips for teachers as to how to leverage that well? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, because I think the older you get, the harder it becomes to do that because you feel the distance, (laughs) right? Agree. Um, you know, I can't just talk about the matrix, you know, and Braveheart or whatever, you know, from things when, you know, when I was in high school or college. Um, yeah, I think that I, in my book, I talk about when I was a youth pastor in Chicago, um, I had students from all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds. I had public school students. I had a private school, Christian mm-hmm. school students. I had homeschool students. Um, and we all came from such different places. And so what was the thing that could kind of give us common language was pop culture. Because mm-hmm. even though these students came from different educational experiences and different ethnic experiences, um, socioeconomic difference, pop culture sort of became the, the common language mm-hmm. Uh, that allowed us to connect to each other. And so in one sense, I was interested in pop culture because I was interested in my students and I wanted to connect with them. Sure. Um, and so that's why I said, even though almost everything I did was really clumsy, um, <laughs> everything I did was, yeah, a pretty shallow, you know, embar- they were embarrassed, you know, whenever I talked <laughs> about culture, uh, but it, it came from the right place. Yeah. And that place was that I just, I wanted to know their world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to meet them where they were. And if I could, I wanted to speak their language. Um, and so I think that that heart, the desires to connect, I mean, we can all think of a friend that we have that we became interested in something because they were interested in it. Right. Uh, or maybe one of our chi- our own children, right. you know, you get into something uh, my son's really into 3D printing right now, and so I'm into 3D printing mm-hmm. because he, you know, and so I think right. there's this sense of of wanting to join people where they are, to sure. meet them I where they that. are, um, which is a cultural practice as well. A lot of times we think of hospitality in terms of inviting other people into our space. And if you think about the hospitality of Jesus, Jesus more often went into somebody else's space mm-hmm. and was the guest mm-hmm. um, and sat down at their table and you know, allowed, made himself at home where they were. And I think there is something there for us. I don't think it means that every teacher needs to listen to all of the songs, be on TikTok as much as the students or anything like that. You know, that's exhausting. Uh, (laughs) But I do think that it means being genuinely interested in what our students are interested right. in and, and letting why. and letting them teach you things. Yeah, for sure. Well. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I also think like, why, why, why this, why mm-hmm. does this connect with them? 
Um, because we often just want to move to critique and say, oh, this is all the ways that this is malforming them or this, you know, like I would always do, this is what the culture says, this is what the Bible says, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you don't spend a long time just paying attention to why has this grabbed their attention, what is it about this that is so compelling, Mm -hmm. um, then I think that you miss uh, an opportunity for, for understanding. Okay. Justin, in my undergrad, I read a book, uh, The Idols of Our Time. I think it was written by Bob Houtswart, if, if that is how you say it. You got it, yeah. It seems to me part of the hard work for Christians, Christian schools, even for, for parents, um, is to have the courage to critique some of our own idols. Like, I'm really good at critiquing the idols that exist out in, in culture. It's harder for me to uh, hold myself accountable and critique those in my life. How might we challenge our own idols. You talk a little bit about this, I believe, in chapter two. Um, Are there questions that we can ask or what does this look like? Because it's really easy to look outward um, without looking at ourselves. So where do we begin doing that or how do we go about doing that? Yeah, so in chapter two, which is the chapter about power, uh, the hardest chapter to write, um, I talk about iconoclasm as a distinctive practice uh, for dealing with power. And I say, well, iconoclasm first has to be inward. So we have to critique our own idolatries before we turn to take down somebody else's idols because we have them too. Calvin says that the heart is an idol factory. We're always looking for (laughs) something to give us significance apart from God. And so I think the first way to do that is just to do a basic... Um, sort of idle inventory in terms of what is really giving me validation? Oh, what what do I believe names me or legitimizes me? Um, what are the things that tell me who I am? Um, and so because it's telling me who I am, because it's legitimizing me, because it's validating me, I give my time, I give my devotion, I give my energy and my attention. It's the thing I think about all, you know, th- those are the sorts of things that, that's how we find idols, I think, mm-hmm. in general. Um, and there are two different kinds of iconoclasm. One is an iconoclasm of replacement, right? An iconoclasm of cancellation. And some things need to be replaced. Some things um, need to be uprooted in our hearts. And that's hard work to do. Um, and then there's also an iconoclasm of complication uh, where um, maybe as we tell the story of who we are, which usually has us in the hero you know, mm. picture, Maybe there's another way we can tell that story that complicates that story a little bit and acknowledges not just the um, the good, uh, and, and there is good, thanks to God's grace, but also some of the darker things, you know, some of the parts about us that um, we don't want to talk about because it, de- you know, almost delegitimizes the story that we tell ourselves that we're the mm-hmm. good guys, you know, we're on the right side of history. We're the, the you know, the people who are, or are the right sort of people that God should love. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the sense of, uh, I think one of the things we do as educators is a gentle iconoclasm um, of complicating things a little bit um, because we like answers that keep us in control. And a big part of faith is giving up control um, and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable uh, and handling our vulnerability, stewarding our vulnerability in a way that has some integrity. And so I think a big part of what we do uh, in a way that is age appropriate, of course, um, is to gently complicate things for people. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's the thing. So first of all, what are our idols? <laughs> Just kind of figuring that out, yeah. you know, as, as a team, 
um, with, with friends? Like what are the things that really are, for example, for us, for the academy, what are the things that we think are really going to legitimize us? And then what are the things that we can sort of, how can we, you know, I hate to use the word cancel, but how can we <laughs> replace or how do we kind of uproot some of those things that are just really toxic? And then how do we also complicate uh, yeah. some things that are complicated? Yeah. I really like the language of gently complicate. Um, mm-hmm. Because even as I read chapter two, and it makes sense to me that that was a hard chapter to read, I, I found like your posture as a writer was to gently complicate it for us mm-hmm. to be like, would you consider this or you need to think more deeply about this and these ideas of power and identity without making us feel silly or foolish for maybe not having thought of that before. And so um, it's one thing that I found really um, inviting about the book is to be like, you need to think about this, Matt, Mm. but don't feel silly for not having thought of that yet. And so I think Mm -hmm. you even take that posture as, as a writer. Yeah. uh, I was going to pick up on that same idea. I love that sense of gentleness. I think that's a really important piece of it, but that, that whole idea, we're living in a a culture uh, where everything seems to have to be polarized, right? It has to be this, or it has to be that it has to be white or it has to be black, you know, every, everything that way. Mm -hmm. And, and to, boy, I think that so much as a Christian educator to help students think with nuance, to to help them see Mm -hmm. the world that it's not all that easy all the time to just say it's this or it's that. Yeah. And so, yeah, finding ways to open students' eyes to that in a way that's really gentle and humble, but to kind of bring them along into that. So I really mm. appreciated that. Yeah, I, I call it non-reductive curiosity. Yeah. Um, that's such <laughs> a good the, academic yeah. phrase, yeah. but that, that captures a sense yeah. of it, right? Because the curiosity has to come from this place. Why are we secure? Are we secure because we have all the answers? Because we know the black and the white, we know which side we're on, you know, all of those things. Or are we secure because God has promised to be faithful to us? Yeah. And so um, even if we fail, right, um, our security is not based on our cultural success. Uh, and so because of that, that allows us to be curious and to ask questions because we know that our identity is not in jeopardy. Our belonging is not in jeopardy. Uh, we belong because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. God's kingdom will be fine with, you know, without our input. Uh, the gates of hell, you know, all of those sorts of things. We feel so much anxiety and, and over some things that, that makes sense. But I think the only sort of cultural posture that is sustainable is one that is very grounded in a sense that we are secure because of what God has done for us and what God is doing and what God has promised to do. And because that's where our security is found, we can stay in difficult questions, in uncomfortable situations, um, and experience the challenge of those, mm-hmm. of those places. Do you find that's hard for students to do, especially those, I think in Christian education, we're not always great at this, right? I think we're better yeah. at <laughs> this so right, or this, yeah. right? We're, yeah. we're a lot better at the culture is bad <laughs> and the Bible says this. And right. so I'm just wondering how you experience that with college students. Is it difficult for them to get out of that mindset? Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, and it's getting increasingly difficult. Okay. Um, I think that in some ways, the values of the online world have worked their way into the classroom. And what I mean by that is there's a fear of, you know, saying the wrong thing online and having cancel culture. Cancel culture. Yeah. 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 And Jonathan Haidt has this really evocative image. He says, we thought that social media would give everybody a voice, but what it really did was gave everybody a dart gun, Mm. you know, the ability to to (laughs) shoot whoever they wanted without any consequences. And now that has worked itself 
into the college classroom where it's very hard for us to have debates or, you know, or to disagree because everybody is afraid of saying the wrong thing. So I read what the students write and I walk around and hear what they say in their small groups. But when it comes time to talk as a large group, everyone's afraid of getting dart gunned. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that in that sense, we have to work really hard to create spaces that, I mean, everyone talks about safe spaces, but what, what is a safe space? Is it the safe space where you can't say anything, you know, where you can't actually disagree with anyone or express any sort of opinion for fear of saying the wrong thing or whatever it is. And so I think that, creating that sense of the depths of security, that why are we secure? Why are we okay? Uh, it's, it's not because we have all the right answers. It's not right. because we know everything. Uh, we're secure for other reasons, and that allows us to be curious. And so I think whatever we can do to create this sort of safety um, that allows us to be curious is important. I'm also thinking of you know, this idea of secure attachment that psychologists talk mm -hmm. about, that if you have secure attachment, which is a sense of secure base from which to work and safe haven um, to which to return. Elizabeth Hall has written this great article about this. Uh, then students who have secure attachment tend to have higher degrees of uh, tolerance for ambiguity, tolerance for uncertainty, and also intellectual humility. Mm -hmm. So it's okay that I don't know. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's not where my security is found. And I can tolerate ambiguity. Now, again, all of this has to be age appropriate, right? And mm -hmm. so with younger grades, you know, I always say to students who are going into youth ministry, you're not trying to, you know, get them to question everything. You're showing them that there's good answers for all these questions and you're not the first person to, to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. um, but as students naturally get older and as they start to ask those hard questions, I think that the way that you approach them has to move on from this sort of, you know, you have questions, we have answers, that settles it. You know, I think mm -hmm. that there's this sense of like, no, we have been wrestling with these things for a really long time and it's okay that we have been because our ultimate security is not found in the fact that we figured it out. Right. Yeah. That's the end of part one of our conversation. We'll have part two coming your way next week. In the meantime, if this conversation with Justin has you curious about his book, we'd highly recommend that you check out the show notes to order a copy for yourself. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beavers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out, and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends.